0: There are a lot of invertebrate pests that attack broadacre crops and pastures in WA. Deep Herd, with co-investment from the Greens Research and Development Corporation and other funding bodies, has invested time and money on conducting invertebrate trapping surveillance over the years to better understand the movement of several pests. One of these pests is the native budworm, or Helicoverpa punctigera. Deep Herd carries out both manual and automated pheromone native bu- budworm whilst trapping in WA. Every year, volunteer farmers, consultants and DPED staff commence weekly pheromone trapping around the end of July or the beginning of August for native budworm moths. Today we are focusing on the Manual Pheromone Moth Trapping Program, which is coordinated by DPED Technical Officer, Ellen Lord, whom I am interviewing today. This trapping program is a component of the National RPM for Grains Best Practice Insect Pest Management Project, which is delivered by the National Pest Information Network. This network is made up of Caesar Australia, DeepHerd, QDAF, New South Wales DPI and Sardi. This initiative is a GRDC investment and includes in-kind contributions from all project partner organisations. Welcome, Alan, to today's podcast and thank you for joining us.
1: It's good to be here.
0: We'll get into the native budworm trapping program shortly, but first, let's talk a little bit about you. So, what is your role in DeepHerd?
1: Well, at DeepHerd, I support the, the Pest Facts Editor, editing sort of articles on invertebrate pests that, do, that affect the crops and pastures in Western Australia.
0: And you also lead the native budworm pheromone trapping program, is that correct?
1: That's right. I've been doing the native budworm trapping for about eight or nine years now.
0: So Alan, for those that might not have heard about native budworm, can you give us a brief description, what is a native budworm?
1: A uh, native budworm is a, a native insect pest that is uh, common and widespread throughout Australia and it's a major pest of pulse, lupin, and canola crops. As I mentioned, it's, it's distributed uh, throughout Australia. It breeds up in the more arid pastoral regions of Australia on native plants Usually in late autumn and winter, before migrating on the prevailing winds into the cropping zones, where it then becomes a crop pest. This usually occurs in late winter or spring. A notable it is a notable feature of the native budworm is its ability to travel very large distances in a day. So we're talking hundreds of kilometres, and it moves from these more arid areas of Western Australia when the native plants begin to die off out there, so they're looking for alternative hosts. And at that time of year, when it flies into the cropping zone, obviously we've got flowering and budding crops in these areas, which the budworm then lay their eggs on and attack.
0: Now, Alan, are pulses the only crops that native budworm caterpillars usually attack in WA?
1: No, while... Pulses like field peas, faba beans, lentil, and chickpeas are probably the most susceptible crops. They also attack lupin and canola. And I probably should touch on the fact also that some forage or pasture crops can be severely damaged by native budworm. Things like solidera, lucerne, clover. Annual medic and seed crops may be attacked by the native budworm and it can be particularly a problem with pasture seed crops where the grubs can cause quite severe damage to the developing seed and seed pods.
0: And so it should therefore all crops and pastures should basically be sweep netted, Alan, is that correct, for caterpill- netted budworm caterpillars?
1: Yeah, well that, that would be advisable just to make sure you get a sort of a handle on how many caterpillars might be around at any given time and, and how much damage is being done. It can be difficult to sweep some of those pasture crops, though, and, I, and there isn't, as far as I know, established thresholds for those those pasture crops. It's, I guess, just important to be aware that they can damage those crops. And if you know native budwim are around, to be doing some some crop monitoring and evaluating just how much damage they may be doing to these forage crops.
0: And so when you say they attack the crop, do they suck onto the leaves or do they take big bites out of the pods and leaves? How do they cause damage?
1: The moths fly into the, the cropping zone and lay lay their eggs onto the developing crops. takes about a week for these eggs to hatch in sort of average spring conditions. And then you've got another maybe couple of weeks until the caterpillars grow big enough to be noticeable on the crop if you were doing some sweep netting.
0: So the caterpillars are the ones causing the economic damage to the That's
1: crop. That's correct, yeah. The moths don't cause any damage at all. They're mainly just attracted to the crops, the flowering crops, where they are looking for sort of nectar in the flowers to feed on.
0: And have you noticed, you mentioned that they fly in from the semi-arid areas. Have you noticed any differences in their flight patterns over the years? Are they moving at different times, for example?
1: In uh, seven or eight years I've been doing it, there's always been a sort of a a tendency for them to turn up in sort of you know mid late July or or early August, but in more recent times they they seem to be flying in the last couple of years. For instance, they've turned up a lot earlier than that. Large numbers have turned up in sort of early July, late June, and so we've been caught out a bit by that, but. Whether this is a trend or just a natural variation in their population dynamics is is difficult to say because their life cycle is basically driven by what is going on out in those pastoral areas. If, If we get a lot of rainfall there at a certain time of year and we get a lot of germination and flowering of native plants, that's where the budworm build up their large numbers, which then move into the cropping zone. So, if you know, we get a late season cold front or a cyclone or something like that go through in, in summer or late summer, obviously that can fire up the budworm population earlier on in the year than, than perhaps they normally would. So then they would be moving in as those plants start to die off, they'll be moving into the cropping zones earlier in the year.
0: I see. And so this trapping program that you lead, That the whole point of that is to alert growers and consultants when those moths and subsequent caterpillars are expected to be in their crops. Is that correct?
1: That's correct. So it's basically just an early, early warning system. So a farmer, if he had a trap on his farm, for instance, would know when budworm might be in his particular area or People, farmers or agronomists, could also refer to the, the map or the tables we produce to see when budworm are flying into a particular area of the cropping zone. But it's important to remember that the traps themselves are only a guide. They can't be used for control information. If a farmer did notice budworm in his trap, that would be just an indication for him to maybe start doing some sweep netting a couple of weeks after they turned up to see what sort of numbers of caterpillars he's actually got in his crop, because large numbers of budworm don't necessarily equate to large numbers of caterpillars in the crop, although they often do. And there's plenty of information on various websites relating to uh, threshold controls decisions that can be made using numbers collected in a sweep net.
0: And Alan, the WA grain belt is very wide, Uh, so how do you go about setting up these traps to try and get a good idea of where moss are landing and when across the WA wheat belt?
1: We've got probably 30 or 40 farmers, agronomists and deep herd staff that do the trapping for us. We don't by any means cover, I mean the the wheat belt is a vast area, so we by no means cover all of it, but... There are probably enough traps out there to give people a rough indication of when these moths are, are turning up in a particular area.
0: And if someone wanted to be a volunteer trapper, what do they have to do? For example, do you send a trap out to them in the mail? How, how does the process start?
1: All they would have to do is get into contact with me. All they need, would need to supply is a star picket. I supply everything else they might need, the trap the pheromone law for 3 or 4 months and there's a they could refer to the Native Budworm Moth Trapping website on the the Deephead website where my contact details are
0: Very good. We will list the Deephead website at the end of this podcast for people to follow up with. And as we mentioned the trapping results how often do they get published and where do they get published during the period that the trapping occurs?
1: The farmer or the agronomist who's looking after the trap would check it on a weekly basis. They phone or text the information through to me or or by email, whatever's most convenient. And then I... Weekly, I add that to the various websites and maps that we produce, so then people can refer to it on a weekly basis to see what the moth situation is in a particular area.
0: And on a, say, a year like this year where we've had quite a lot of summer rainfall, when would you expect this trapping program to start and finish?
1: Normally we, in previous years we've started in August, but this year we'll be looking to start perhaps a little bit earlier, particularly in the northern areas appears that in the last few years the moths have tended to turn up in these northern agricultural region areas in sort of mid-July so yeah this year we'll be looking probably to start a bit earlier in some of these areas
0: very good and they uh, usually finish their flights before harvest is that correct
1: generally yeah I mean the, the most I guess the most important thing to remember about the native budworm moth is these flights are highly unpredictable so they can appear at any time of the year really because they're driven by climatic factors out in that pastoral area it's difficult to predict when but if they turn up late in late in the season they're not really considered a problem anyway because the crops by then are usually drying off and they're unattractive to the moths' as laying sites and they tend to continue moving on through the cropping regions into more of the horticultural regions closer to Perth or closer to the coast where they're liable to find flowering or potting or fruiting plants that they can lay their eggs on.
0: What actions should the growers and consultants be taking when we get large numbers of moths being captured in these pheromone traps?
1: Well, as I mentioned, when when large numbers of moths are caught, farmers and agronomists should be then pulling out the sweep net and doing some sweep netting of the various crops to monitor caterpillar numbers. The traps themselves are only a guide. It's really the sweep netting of crops and using thresholds based around sweep nets that farmers can make a decision on whether it's necessary to spray or not. The caterpillars themselves, I mean, they're very easily controlled with a, with a well-timed spray of something like alpha cypermethrin, and it can actually have a residual effect for up to six weeks. It keeps sort of the moths away from for that period of time
0: fantastic. And all this information is extended on the webpage and the Pest Facts newsletter. And I think that comes to the end of our podcast. And I'd like to say a very big thank you to Ellen Lord, coordinator of the WA Manual Pheromone Native Budworm Trapping Program. And to learn more about this native budworm surveillance and trapping results and management recommendation, visit the DeepHerd website at www.agric.wa.gov.au. Thank you, Ellen.
1: Thank you, Cindy.